0: Welcome back. We are back with Across the Pond, your regularly scheduled programming. Maybe not as regular, though, as as we'd like, but we're here. We're here, Barry. (laughs) Uh, After our little week uh, break, we're here. And I I swear, if I'm not a sort of indie podcast maker today with my little ad hoc setup, I'm looking down. uh, I've got these wonderful little uh, mini couches and, and all sorts of strange, weird and wonderful stuff going on. Then I don't know what I am it's
1: spot on chad i mean after a year of across the pond being very stable everyone in the same yep. place the same setup the last couple of weeks have been all over the place we've all been trying to figure out exactly how to record this on the go and like i was saying to you offline we've become these nomadic podcasters chad i can imagine us <laughs> podcasting from remote places in the earth trying to find a chair or a table or something to use uh, but we managed to figure it out and here we are chad episode 77 is upon us
0: it is i mean you don't need that much these days if we're if we're honest with ourselves all you need is a is a laptop some good stuff to talk about uh, a little bit of light because that definitely helps especially with the video element and i struggle to find that today uh and most importantly barry is, is a stable internet connection on both sides of the ponds oh, which yes. <laughs> we we struggle with sometimes but um we've we've managed to find that we've, we've got all of the preconditions uh for, for what should be a really good conversation uh so yeah i'm i'm ready barry are you
1: I'm ready, Chad. Let's dive into The Week That Was.
0: The Week That Was. The Week That Was. Lots of stuff happening this week uh, on my side of the pond. If you've never joined us before, I'm Chad, I'm in London, and Barry... Uh, my co-host is in Johannesburg, so on my side of the pond, we've got some announcements this week—quite, quite a bit actually. Uh, the first one being the one that I've been most anticipating, uh, and I'm sure you won't be surprised by this, Barry. <laughs> that is the the next step of Boris's like lockdown plan, his roadmap, um, and that is the date of the seventeenth of May, which is next week Monday. Been looking forward to this date for many months. Uh, it's the day that we finally are able to meet indoors again. So we're able to have people over at our own houses. Uh, the rule of six is, is what they call it, uh, or, or sort of two households. And, uh, yeah, I mean, indoor entertainment restaurants actually open inside. We've got thirty up to 30 people outside. That's all happening. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people have been anticipating travel. Uh, I know, you know, a lot of people are quite keen to get back onto an airplane or, you know, exploring different parts of the globe. So travel is back on, uh, although in a limited sense, where we've now got the green, amber and red lists. Uh, and much to my dismay, South Africa is still... Firmly stuck in the red list over there, uh, which is not surprising, I guess, but but very very uh, disappointing. Certainly for for those of us who, who do want to go back uh, and and catch up with friends and family and and have a wedding, hopefully one of these days. Um, but certainly for the for those that are on the green list, I know Portugal, uh, the Madeira Islands. Uh, it's it's a limited list at this at this point in time. But uh, yeah, that is the the next step of the UK's roadmap. Uh feeling very optimistic about it.
1: It's really good to hear, Chad. After all the chaos and after all the, the talking about these various stages and whatnot, it's really nice to feel some progress and feel like, cool, we move moving on to the next part of this whole thing. And even though it's not total normality just yet, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And so I'm very happy for you. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of adventures you're going to get up to uh, after the 17th of May. I know you've been dying to get out there and kind of just get out of the house a little bit and get get to see your friends again and all that good stuff. Um, And I think it's going to be good, Chad. Um, Lots and lots of activities planned. What, What do you got planned for after the 17th of May? Do you know anything yet?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, as you say, currently a, a digital nomad so just figuring things out as we go. But there's definitely quite a lot of social plans built into the calendar. Um, I don't think I've planned this much in, in a long time. So, you know, almost <laughs> every day there's there's something on uh, in the next week at least. Uh, and then we kind of figure our way out uh, beyond that. But in terms of travel, nothing, nothing just yet, nothing just yet. Uh, but very exciting to have all of that social stuff back on. Uh, you know, it, it's basically only one step left until... All social distancing rules are scrapped here, and that is that is in June. Uh, So, so that's that's a crazy thought, really. uh, to, To you know, there'll be no sort of social distancing uh and big events all that kind of stuff all set to return so that's very very exciting uh some of the other stuff that happened uh, over this side of the pond this week barry we've had the the local elections come and go i had my ballot paper but so much going on i didn't manage to you know actually get there and, and cast my vote. <laughs> this is the local elections uh, over are you allowed in- to
1: vote chad even if you're not a british citizen
0: yeah, so uh, you are, you are. You, you basically have to register, obviously, beforehand, and I guess there's certain criteria for that. But so long as you're on the voters' roll, you have an address, all that kind of stuff, uh, you you are able, eligible to vote. So could have gone, didn't go, um, but uh, basically the the, the the kind of brief story there. Uh, is that it was a resounding victory, all in all, for the Tories, for the Conservative Party, uh, and you know, quite an embarrassment, really, for, for Labour. Uh, I think some of the some of the expected gains in this election just didn't come to fruition. Um, you know, and so lots of frustration f- f- from their side. But obviously, uh, you know what you can infer from this is that the the general public are quite happy with the way that Boris and, and the UK government have handled the pandemic, the vaccine uh, rollout program, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, sort of, I guess, happy with, with with everything else. So, I guess that is a conclusion in itself, and uh, you know, it's certainly something to be said for that. Uh, on the other side, when you when you look at what's happened in, in Scotland. Um, the SNP has uh, got another term, and, and that's quite unprecedented. I think it's their fourth term, um, and you know their manifesto going on the basis of applying for for a second referendum. Uh, we've been talking about this a little bit uh, as time goes on. The, the the idea of Scotland wanting to go independent, uh, and so yeah, it's it's really. Quite the quite the landscape at the moment, where uh, Nicola Sturgeon of uh, the SNP wants a second referendum, and she's sort of promised her people that, and has been voted in on that basis. Uh, but Boris doesn't, uh, and so what what you have is you have the the last one, which was in 2014, um, and you know Boris kind of saying, well, the results of that should last for for a generation type of thing, uh, where you know there's a population now that, that kind of are, are keen to, to look into this, keen to, to look at Scotland breaking away. Um, and so where we're at at the moment with this, Barry, is it, there's a possibility that this lands up in the Supreme Court um, because of the split of power between Westminster and Hollywood, I think, it, uh, not, Hollywood. Uh, it's not Hollywood, it's not uh, Hollywood, it starts with an H. <laughs> uh, my bad. Um, basically in, in, in Scotland. And and so the Supreme Court will, will need to decide whether you know Westminster has to actually give the go-ahead for this sort of referendum to take place Uh, but it's going to be an interesting landscape to watch over over the coming months.
1: I'm really curious to see what happens, Chad, because it's one of those things that during the whole Brexit situation, it was very top of mind and everyone was discussing it and it was a very big deal. And then this pandemic kind of came in and kind of put it to the side of a bit. People sort of forget about that and sort of focus, obviously, on on the virus. And now that things are starting to get back to normal, these these things start to bubble up once more. And so Scotland, of course, are very restless as a nation and uh, there's lots lots of chaos outside. And so I'm very curious to see what happens here. Um, the first race referendum was an interesting like, social experiment, it felt like. Um, and so we'll have to wait and see as to where the second one actually goes ahead and what it means for the Great Britain as a whole. I think that there's, there's been so much turmoil in the last 10 years. I mean, I don't, I don't think we've seen this much political change in Britain in like a 10-year period in a very long time, right? And to see this continue like this, it just shows that the will of people is looking for something different in, in some cases. But I also want to pull back on your point about, about – um, Citizens being relatively happy with with Britain. I think you guys yeah. have done really well on the vaccines, and that's the reason why people are, I think are quite happy. Um, if you look around the world, Britain's vaccine rollout has been probably one of the best um, of all yeah. the countries, and so that's obviously a big deal in this kind of in this environment, ensuring that your government is is doing a decent job. Um, so what what remains to be seen is when things get back to normal and you kind of go back to some of the old political debates before the virus. Um, how does that impact voting and that and whatnot? So yeah, lots of interesting things to watch when it comes to British politics. And Chad, I'm sure you'll be keeping a BDI on what goes on.
0: Absolutely will be. Uh, I mean, just on just to echo on your point, Barry, I, I think it is it is really interesting because there's been lots of criticism on Boris for you know the high number of deaths over here in the UK, um, you know, and and certain certain countries starting to kind of catch up on on that death on that death number. But as you say, it's the vaccine program that that's actually been the redeeming factor for him, really. Um, today in, in parliament he was saying that he's he's going to be authorizing a review into the government's handling of the pand- pandemic so obviously the parts that didn't go as well um but but i do i do think that it's uh, you know quite an interesting thing that the people have been able to uh, kind of forgive some of the the you know the pieces that didn't go so well um for the bit that was a resounding success
1: yeah, definitely. It's people forget things quickly, Chad. It's one of those things where the moment it, it goes out of the news cycle, people stop, stop they they forget that they're angry. It's like mm. when you have an argument with someone and you argue for so long and you forget why you were arguing in the first place. Um, and it's one of those things where the news cycle just keeps going. And so as long as you can redeem yourself, as long as there's some path to accountability and the fact that he wants to get this review going is 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 a good a good step. It shows okay, listen, yeah. we maybe didn't get things right, we maybe got a couple things wrong, and let's try and figure out what they were. Yeah so we can move forward. And that's all you ask for from a leader. You're like, it's, yep. it's an impossible job what these guys have to do. It really is an impossible job to kind of try and please everybody, try and deal with all of these different issues at the same time with various constraints. Um, and so all you can ask for is when things go wrong is some sort of accountability. And rather than shifting the buck, trying to figure out why, why did this happen and how can we um, avoid it going forward? So yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Boris in general, but I think uh, what they've done over the last uh, couple of months has been quite impressive, even from a, a neutral perspective.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. And, uh, you know, said uh, who's also tuned in live while, we, while we're doing this, has is, is asked about Brexit as well, which I think is also definitely a relevant point to, to mention, uh, is that Boris did get Brexit done uh, in, in one, one form or another. Uh, you know, something that was dragging <laughs> for such a long time at least has now had some some finality and obviously the, you know you can debate the merits of uh, the deal that that came across in the end but uh, you know a lot of a lot of voters happy uh, with with an outcome rather than rather than none and a lot of Pending uncertainty, kind of going on and on and on. Um, so, just moving on, Barry, uh, to some other stuff that happened this week. Uh, we saw yesterday the Queen uh, opening Parliament, and I've never watched any. I've never watched this before. I don't know if you have, Barry. Um, it's quite the formal affair. Loads of, uh, you know, obviously protocol uh, as always in these kinds of events, um, and uh, you know, quite an eerie setting where previously you would have had a gallery that was packed with people all sorts of uh, you know attendees invited from various walks of life and uh, now it was very kind of Uh, it was just hollowed out really just a few people socially distancing uh, a very obviously she would normally have had Prince Philip walking with her down uh, you know down into into the 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 relevant section and it just it just had that slightly eerie feeling um, because of both of these things have you ever watched it before out of interest before I get into what it was
1: I haven't, shared. It's, it, it, it's something that sounds fascinating now because there's so much tradition and so much kind of history in, in English parliaments and the Queen and whatnot. Was this the Queen's first public appearance since Prince Philip's death? Do you know?
0: No, so she did have one uh, one engagement before this, uh, but but this was certainly, I think, the, the, the biggest one since, since his death, yeah.
1: Interesting, yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things where um, everything feels weirder without people there. It's like I was, I was watching a hockey yep. match just like literally just before this recording, Chad. And when you see no one in the stands, it just feels different. Like you mm. watch a soccer match with no one in the stands, it feels so different. And I, for one, am looking forward to seeing a pa- place that is packed with people to give it that atmosphere and that vibe that it requires. Even in Parliament, which is not like a sports thing, but it's, <laughs> it, it's still, you still want to feel like it's the will of the people. You still want to feel like it's a consensus being built yep. uh, rather, rather, than, rather than over Zoom, which just doesn't have the same effect.
0: Yeah, no, completely agreed. Uh, and, and yeah, I agree. It, it, it was a bit, it was a bit eerie. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll get back to, to having people in all settings uh, going forward. But just in terms of some of the the, con- the contents of that, and, and I guess the importance of it, why, why the Queen opens Parliament. Um, so essentially, she, she has, you know, her, her speech, the Queen's speech, and, and basically in that speech, outlays all the priorities of her government for the year ahead. And there's loads here. You know, we, we obviously can't get into everything, um, but I'm just going to quickly run very quickly through the list uh, of, of what some of those priorities will be, um, which I get, I, you know, I think is, is quite important to do. And this is talking to all of the impending bills um, that that need to kind of go through the process, uh, get royal ascent. Um, so it's kind of all the stuff that that's on the radar at the moment. So. Obviously, the vaccination program—we've we've kind of spoken about that. Uh, she, you know, the Queen actually spoke about five G and and broadband and the importance of that, which I thought was really quite interesting. Uh, obviously, a, a, you know, a crucial crucial step to to leveling up, which is the the kind of language that's been happening at the moment. Um, we we've saw something interesting about uh, the integrity of elections. As things stand, at the in the UK at the moment, Barry, you just rock up with your. Uh, with your votes is registration, and and you just vote, where you know in a lot of other countries, South Africa included, you have to bring your ID document with you to prove that you are the one who is voting, um, and so you know quite a few kind of calls uh, to to close that hole, uh, w- which is certainly interesting. It's definitely bringing about uh, kind of interesting debates here in the UK about, um, you know, I guess discrimination and uh, the ability to to have, you know, not everyone has a driver's license, so they might need to kind of, they might need to add an extra form of ID uh, that somebody might need to get. Uh, ground rents, now this has been quite the topic for, for anyone who, who rents or who owns a place on a leasehold basis, so you basically uh, lease it for, you know, hundreds of years, uh, and it's because you're not technically the owner, you have to pay a ground rent to the owner so, so there's a scheme at the moment to, to get rid of that which i definitely think is uh, is a good thing in the long term uh education being quite an important one here Talk, addressing all of the lost learning that's taken place during the pandemic uh, of which you know i think that effect is going to be huge uh so the ability to i guess catch all of those students up for for all of the lost learning uh, in all of these lockdowns would be a great thing and then also talking to lifelong learning uh and you know borrowings being able to kind of uh, no matter how old you are, be able to to take courses um, to, to to further your knowledge uh, as your life goes on. Um, you know, talking about greenhouse gases and and uh, carbon emissions, there's a, a net gre- net zero greenhouse gas uh, gas target of uh, by. 2050 uh which is which is you know for a whole country certainly uh optimistic for the whole region for the for the uk uh we've got increasing sentences for serious offenders uh increased spending on um you know uh on on uh, basically upholding the nato commitment so defense and all of that kind of stuff uh among many other things um so that's basically all that's happened this week barry i know (laughs) that was quite a lot um but that's that's What's happened on my side of the pond? Uh, some other stuff happening on your side of the pond uh, where the RAND, the uh, ZAR currency has been seeing some, some pretty good things happen.
1: Yeah, Chad, it's very exciting to see. I think that's... Um, South Africa has always been known as a very volatile currency. The RAND kind of goes up and down depending on a whole bunch of factors. And in the last kind of month or so, the RAND has got stronger and stronger and stronger against its ma- against the major currencies, against the dollar, against the pound, etc. It really is not a good place. And the major yep. reason for that is a huge increase in commodity demand. So for those who don't know, South Africa's economy is kind of built on commodities right from the very bottom. It's the reason we kind of exist. In Johannesburg, it was known as the city of gold and kind of one of the first places where gold and diamond used to really be coming out of the ground at a rapid rate. And they built the entire South African economy on, on these industries. And this has been a, a kind of a double-edged sword for us because mm-hmm. on one side has been the reason we've been able to kind of raise ourselves as the gateway to Africa and become like a... a, a a little bit higher than some of the other African countries in that respect. But on the other side, we are quite dependent on it. But in situations like this, when the commodity, commodity prices go sky high because everyone's starting to to look for those things again, then we do really well. And so in these yeah. moments, we're happy for that concentration and for that lack of diversification in that sense because it really is propping up our economy. And so it's a really good sign for us. As a country, we, we, we are hopefully we're going to take the most of it and actually turn this into some real foreign investment going forward but yeah really really good good signs here and hopefully it's the start of some sort of economic rebuild chad
0: yeah and also let's not uh miss the the exports the strong exports uh during the pandemic which i think have, have certainly uh, helped as well uh you know just in that balance of payments uh which obviously contributes to this too uh south africa's export market is is massive
1: yeah, definitely. It's 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 kind of what keeps us alive, to be honest. And uh, luckily, with with, with uh, travel starting to open up and supply chains starting to reopen, obviously yeah. our exports have got a lot stronger. So that is what is needed. We need to mm. be able to be transporting South African goods and products uh, all around the world. Because unfortunately, our local environment, our local economy, just isn't big enough to to really grow in a sense. If you're looking to 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 sell some sort of consumer product or whatever into the South African economy, you've got a very very small uh, consumer base. Because unfortunately, the vast majority of South Africa still still lives in in, in very very low circumstances, and so in, in order to really kind of grow your business or grow your your operations, you have to look outside of the border, uh, whether it is to the rest of Africa, but also to Europe, to the US, to China, etc. And so yeah, hopefully that we keep seeing those trends and I produce keep keep seeing things grow, because we desperately need it.
0: Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll, we'll certainly keep uh, monitoring this rally of the rand. Uh, like you say really good for uh, really good for the country so hopefully um, hopefully that continues Uh, certainly hitting levels I haven't seen in a long time um, which is which is absolutely fascinating well we've got a whole lot more to talk about Barry let's move on to the next segment stuff I found interesting I'm not going to spend too long in this uh, this area of the, the podcast Barry but I came across a little article on the BBC uh, talking about a surge in book sales in 2020 as the UK disc- rediscovers its love of reading, um, and you know this the surge. I, I guess it's a little bit sensationalistic uh, <laughs> and clickbaity, if you'd like. Um, you know, when I kind of went into the article, I figured it was it was really more of like a two percent increase. Um, you know, kind of all of, everything, all encompassing. Uh, higher increases in certain. Um, in certain parts of of the market, but uh, 2% increase all in all, I guess that is really the story of uh, a lot of the way that a lot of people spent their pandemics um, being able to have all this extra time um, being able to get themselves stuck into a good book and, you know, learn some insights uh, certainly on the, on the um, nonfiction side Uh, and on the fiction side, get lost in these crazy worlds. Uh, I mean, you are the best person to talk about this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, Chad, as a book lover, we have to take what we can get. Eh? If a 2% just <laughs> 2%? means it's not declining, and so that's why we we, that's why we call it a surge, is because yep. anything that's going up is is a good thing. Um, yeah, I think, unfortunately, we've seen the, the global trend over the last couple of years is that reading is getting less and less important, or, or people are doing it less and less, yeah. because of course, the, the advent of the smartphone and social media, and there's so much else competing for our attention that unfortunately books uh, don't get their fair share, Chad. And you know I feel very strongly about that. So when I see something like this, I I celebrate it. Even if it's just 2%, (laughs) it means that things aren't going down. Um, but yeah, you make good points. I think the pandemic has reminded us of what what you can get up to if you have some time on your hands and if mm. you don't in, indulge in social occasions all the time and if you kind of have some time to yourself, that a, a good book can be a really, really great place to start and a great place to adventure, like you say, through fictional stories yeah. or to upskill yourself in, in, in some sort of business or nonfiction context. And so, yeah, it, it makes me very happy to see. I don't think it's going to stick around. I think once life starts to go back to normal, yep. people kind of slide back towards their old habits. Um, but I, for one, if, if I think about all the people that I respect and all the, all the, the smartest people in the world that I see, they all read. It's, it's a very, very common yep. pattern you see with the very high performers around the world. And so in my opinion, it is a superpower if you're able to kind of get into a habit and you don't have to read a thousand books a year, but to be able to do consistently be reading a book rather than going to your Instagram or your Twitter mm. or whatever it is, it makes a big, big difference. And it, it, it really gives you an outlet and a creative outlet to explore something that isn't a screen, which is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, definitely, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, for one, I'm certainly very fatigued at constantly looking at screens. So it, it has been good to, to kind of get lost in a, in a book. But let's not forget that when we do return to life as normal, uh, commuting certainly, if you if you're fortunate enough to be on a public public transport uh, that that allows you to, and you don't have, uh, you know, thousands of people all around you uh, underneath someone's armpit. Uh, people coughing all around you, as was the case in the Tube in London pre-pandemic. Um, you know, it is definitely a really good opportunity to to sit and use your commute, I guess, as well, to take in some words. Uh, and a lot of people do that. A lot of people enjoy uh, using their time to transition into the workday uh, and equally on the way back home. Uh, Use that time to kind of switch off a bit, and I guess you know what is great about reading is it can be both. It can be stimulating enough to warm you up if you'd like from waking up, uh, post having your coffee, uh, and you know getting all those neurons firing. Uh, And equally, it it, it, you know it can also help you ease off of your day uh, after after the, the rat race, which I think is quite powerful. It's a powerful tool.
1: Yeah, I, I love that contrast, Chad. That, that's how I do my reading is I try and read nonfiction during the day and then fiction yeah. at night for those exact reasons because the nonfiction kind of gets me fired up, gives me a little bit of inspiration, some mm. motivation, some food for thought to carry me into the day. And then when I'm trying to kind of shut down at the end of the day, it's, it's very nice to be able to drift into a story and, and just keep reading until your eyes fall asleep, Chad. And, <laughs> and, and, and that yeah. kind of mix is so special if you can get that right. Um, and yeah, so I really would encourage people, if, you, if you're not reading, it, it it's so wonderful. Um, and I think what people get, get caught up is they think they have to read the famous huge books. I think they have to yeah, read the, yeah. the top 100 books that's ever been written. And so they pull out this classic and it doesn't make sense to them and they hate Mm. every minute of it and then they just never return to a book right and so i'd really encourage anyone listening to just read something that you want to read even if it doesn't matter what it is if it's a romance novel if it's a medical book if it's a a silly comic book whatever it is but read something that that interests you and that that you find enjoyable and over time you build that habit and once you've got the habit you can start to kind of upgrade things and start to read more difficult books but from the beginning, just, just read anything because it engages a different part of your brain. Kind of, it, it forces you outside of your own reality and it puts you in the, in the shoes of another character. And I don't, know about, I don't know about you, Chad, but I get a bit tired of living in my own head sometimes. It's nice to be able yeah. to switch off for a little bit and just get myself into the, the, the shoes of somebody else.
0: It is nice. It is really good, um, and and the, the only problem, I guess, is when you when you do have too many different voices going on. And I think we're going to touch on that not too long. So let me not get there. Uh, that that discussion is coming. Uh, but for the meantime, let's move on to our next segment. Looking ahead.
1: Now, Chad, I'm hoping you might be able to pull up the video in the in the the link on, on this piece. Um, okay, give me so a if second. if you can, that'd be great. But if not, that's also cool. I know we're, we're dealing with the nomadic setup here. Um, but I wanted to chat about a really cool new piece of software, which is called MetaHuman. Now, for anyone who's ever played The Sims and you were to create your character and you picked what they were going to wear and what their face was going to look like, or even if you play like FIFA and stuff these days, you can create a character in 3D and give them the facial hair and the hairstyle and all the fashion stuff and and make it look really, really cool. This is that on steroids, Chad. What MetaHuman does, it, it uses artificial intelligence and uses a whole bunch of really cool algorithms behind the scenes to allow you to create absolutely incredible photorealistic models of human beings. But of course they don't exist because you can sit and toggle with absolutely everything you can imagine from the lips Hmm. to the nose, to the eyes, whatever the story is, and make an absolutely amazing looking person. And the coolest part, Chad, is once you're done with this guy or this girl, whatever you're creating, all of a sudden, you can animate it. And it starts to come alive. Oh, wow. and so towards no the way. end of this video, you'll see him start to blink and look around. And, and all of a sudden, if you, if you didn't tell me, Chad, that this was a fake person, it would have been very difficult to pick that up. And so I think it's a really fascinating look at, at what the future of 3D modeling Whoa. animation is going to look like um, and how Whoa. easy it's going to be. Like This is going to be like a Photoshop type um, software, Chad. And I just love the slogan. The slogan is high fidelity digital humans in minutes.
0: Whoa! This is crazy. Like you say, that that last couple of seconds where you actually see the guy, uh, you know, start to animate. Because, like you say, we've we've all done the we've all done the Sims and the FIFA and uh, very other various other cases of customizing characters. Uh, it, it's always your avatar. You kind of get a bit of you know a little bit of customization, but. I think the, the the depth of customization here is is quite insane. Uh, when you actually start to see how they tweak the face and the, the amount of uh, data points really on the face uh, that that you can kind of tweak and. You know, make the, the eye bones a little bit higher, cheekbones a little bit d- different, uh, the depth of how far the eyes go in and out, um, how far they are from each other, all sorts of stuff you, you can kind of quite customize here. Um, and, yeah, and that animation is is really quite scary, actually. Um, so, <laughs> so what's the point of this software? Um, I, you know, I certainly, as I'm watching this now, I, I certainly could, could think of a use case. Um, you're replacing... I, a kind of arcane process at the moment uh, where police stations around the world uh, have to kind of identify suspects and, and do sketches, um, you know, do you see a world where you, you could kind of recreate characters uh, based on descriptions more accurately using this kind of software? Uh, I mean, I don't know why you would go through all that effort though, because you're never going to want to animate that person, are you? Um, so so w- what's the use case here, Barry, before I, you know, ruin this whole segment?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Now, I find it very funny that your first use case goes to police identikit. I find that very amusing. Um, but basically, the, the way I understand it is that this is going to be used in film and in TV work, right? To right. do real, real amazing animations. If you look at where, for example, what the old Lion King animation looked like compared to the, the the live action remakes, and where we're heading towards when it comes to animation, the technology continues to advance and advance to levels that we never thought was was possible. So, in the world of, of animation and film production. This is going to become even more commoditized to make it easier and easier and cheaper and cheaper to create really incredible animations. So that for me is the major use case here. These cool. these sorts of these sorts of models used to take millions of dollars of investments and hours and hours and hours of work and like huge amounts of resources and expertise to pull off frame by frame these different mm. animations. And if you look at how Disney was started and how people would, they would draw every single yeah, frame yeah. individually, millions and millions of them, it's just absolutely flabbergasting that you would get to a one-hour movie at the end of the day. And so that is where I see this going, Chad. Is it's going to transform the way that animation is done and make it easier and easier for you to do animation. If I had the software, Chad, theoretically, I could create my own YouTube animated series with enough with enough efforts, right? Because I've got the yeah. the, the, the the capability at my fingertips to create these characters and animate them in a relatively, I'm not going to say easy, but a much simpler way than what was previously possible. So that's the first piece. The second interesting use case that I think, Chad, is when we start to talk about virtual reality, when we start to talk about um, video games and multiplayer video games, we chatted about Grand Theft Auto multiplayer a couple episodes ago. Imagine if you were able to take your avatar, the avatar the Chad that plays in the game, and make him look exactly like you. Make him, yep. have the same mannerisms and really make a virtual version of you in this virtual world, and that's where I think the real the real special uh, magic is going to happen, Chad.
0: Yeah, I mean those are certainly much better use cases than my first uh, <laughs> you know quick attempt at it. Uh, terrible, Chad. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I mean, that that does sound amazing, like you say, being able to recreate yourself in a a virtual world. Um, But equally, you know, here's the concern, Barry, is is we're kind of making deep fakes even easier to make, uh, especially with all of these animated models. And uh, when you're able to kind of, I guess, go one step further and actually configure your particular mannerisms into this uh, model that you've then designed. Uh, That's that's definitely a, a worrying side and obviously one of the sides I would raise.
1: Yeah definitely and that was going to be my next point is that yeah. that is that is the major concern of this sort of technology is that it previously well not previously right now if you want to do a really good deep fake say of Tom Cruise for example yeah. you need someone who looks like Tom Cruise in order to kind of overlay that onto and so it puts a little bit of friction in the process in order to get to a really amazing deep fake but the moment that these things get to the stage where you can't tell the difference between the animated version and, and an actual physical proper video then we into that same discussion we'll be turning about for weeks now about synthetic yeah. media. Um, and when you start to put audio into this, you start to put mannerisms and whatnot, it's, it's very easy to see how in just a couple of years, Chad, we might get to a stage where you look at a video and you don't know if it's an animation or if it's a real thing. Hmm. Um, and yeah. so, of course, lots of ethical dilemmas there. And I don't think we should go into it again because we've talked about it at yeah. nauseum yeah. on this sure. podcast. <laughs> but I just wanted to raise this, this platform as just another example of how this technology is becoming cheaper and more accessible by the day. It feels like. It feels like every week I come across a new advancement in this stuff that is going to make like deepfakes and synthetic media as easy as Photoshop, as easy mm. as kind of some of these these mass consumer apps, so that you don't need a PhD in anim- animatronics or anything to to kind of get this right. You can just kind of sit at home, like myself, watch a YouTube tutorial, and have yep. your digital human in in minutes, as they say.
0: Yeah, that certainly is fascinating. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed watching through it. Um, I think we'll dr- we'll drop that link down below to the video um, for anyone who does want to see it. Uh, certainly, an interesting piece of tech. Uh, but I do have I do have to wonder at the moment how many people are going to be using it um, to to justify its creation because these these pieces of software are not not cheap to make. Uh, big teams of developers. Uh, th- there certainly must be a need uh, presently to to justify kind of putting that out there. Um, which does does definitely fascinate me. Um, so yeah, that's us looking ahead. And what we have done this week of the podcast, and intentionally so, is we've skipped <laughs> through everything as fast as we possibly can uh, to, to leave the bulk, the meat of the podcast uh, for our favorite segment, really, uh, which is Develop and Grow. And uh, potentially we need to change the order there, Barry. But uh, also on the other side, We kind of need to ease our way into it, I guess, every week. So uh, here we are, develop and grow, develop and grow. All righty, Barry, do you want to kick us off with your insights on develop and grow this week? Sure, Chad. So I've been reading
1: a book, a really fascinating book called The Second Mountain, which is written by a guy called David Brooks. And the the key idea of the book is that we all have two phases in our life. We have almost the first phase where we're in our early 20s and we kind of, all we care about is accomplishments. When you're young, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a career, you're trying to build a family, you're trying to build status in the world, you're trying to prove yourself. It's almost just like ego play um, because you don't have the wisdom yet about life to know that None of that stuff actually matters at the end of the day, right? And so there's this idea that you're climbing this first mountain, Chad. And by the time you get to the top, you think you've won life because you've got the fancy car. You've got the big house. You've got the wife and (laughs) 2.4 kids or whatever it is. You've got the dream, right? And you realize that none of that stuff actually fulfills you. And it's just kind of materialistic and status type type things. And it it draws this wonderful metaphor. When you stand at the top of that, that first mountain, you realize there's a second mountain. And that's the one you should have been climbing all along. And the second mountain, in his analogy, is this idea that... You should be caring about how can you help people? How can you do things that mean something to you? How can you serve a mission that's bigger than yourself? How can you not care about your individual stuff so much and try and commun- uh, contribute to a community or to some mission that, that matters to you? And so it's a wonderful analogy and a great book. And it's something that I'm trying to take in, 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 into my life and trying to kind of ruminate on a bit. So I'll definitely come back once I've finished the whole thing mm. and we can chat about it in detail. But there was one quote, Chad, that really stood out for me this week. And I just wanted to raise it and kind of get your thoughts on it. And the quote goes like this. Living online often means living in a state of diversion. When you're living in diversion, you're not actually deeply interested in things. You're just bored at a more frenetic pace. What are your initial kind of thoughts to that? Does that, does that What do you think about that kind of quote, Chad?
0: I love it. Uh, yeah, when I saw it, it just kind of struck me straight away because uh, it's it's so true. We are constantly just switching between things. Um, but because we're bored, not for any other good reason, because we're bored, because we, we have this like nervous twitch almost uh, to, to constantly switch between things. And, and we've, we've said it a few times in the podcast, you end up just doing everything worse. But also what, you, what I feel like you end up with, Barry, is you end up at the end of the day, just unsatisfied. None of that yeah. stuff, actually satiates you it, it it's it's like you know drinking sugar kind of thing you just you get your sugar rush and you straight back on kind of uh le- you know le- yearning for more um, you just need more sugar um it's it, and you know strangely enough it's it's how I think a lot of us live our days at the moment is because we'll have one little bit of boredom um, and this actually reminded me of your, uh, your newsletter that you released uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know how long ago, long ago it was talking about, I think it was called activation energy, Barry, uh, mm. where, you know, before you actually start to do something meaningful, uh, w- whatever it is, there's this activation energy that's required. It's this kind of choice. It's a switch you need to flick in your mind to decide, okay, cool. I'm going to step into gear now and I'm going to start doing something meaningful, um, but what that requires, obviously, is to turn off all the distractions and uh, and kind of allow yourself to be bored because it's a necessary part of the, the process. You're going to hit those uh, slumps. You're going to hit those moments where you're uninspired or those moments where you, you don't know what step to take next. Uh, and obviously, there's a risk there. So I feel like what we're doing at the moment is we, we're avoiding all that risk and we, we're kind of just filling ourselves, uh, you know, filling up our times uh, with, with other things to do Uh, instead of confronting those moments, which are kind of a necessary part of the process.
1: Yeah, I I love that interpretation. I think it's so true. And I, I love the second part of the quote where he says, board at a more frenetic pace. Yep. Yep. That that kind of really sums up a lot of my a lot of my days where I'm not in my best. Chat is when I get to the yep. end of the day and I feel like I've been busy. I feel like I've done a whole bunch of stuff. I've got a couple of things on the to do list I've checked off. I've been in a couple of calls. I've been in a couple of meetings. But I look back on the day and I'm like, what has actually changed from this morning till now? Like, what has actually moved? Which which balls have been pushed down down the field? Yep. And that's always a difficult one because often there aren't any. Because the stuff I've been doing just doesn't matter in the greatest scheme of things. Yeah. It's very easy to, to trick yourself into thinking that you're busy. And I do it all the time. And what this book <laughs> is trying to challenge, and it's challenging me specifically, is that instead of trying to do 20 different things and being completely pulled between context and, and transitioning between this and that and trying to hold all these things in the air, what if you, what if you invested that time into one thing? Yep. into one thing that really fulfilled you and that really meant something to you. How much, how much better of a life would that be? And how much more productive and accomplished would you be as a person? And um, I think it, it's such an important thing to be able to say, cool, if I'm going to spend four hours on something, it's going to be really meaningful because that's a lot of time. Like you say, it, it, it takes a lot of sacrifice to be able yeah. to spend four hours straight on something. And I just don't have that in my life these days. I don't have a, I don't have a, a thing that I'm investing all of that time into because yeah. I'm trying to do a thousand different things at the same time. Um, and so I think it's it was a good reminder for me is that um, often the things that mean something take time. The things that are actually going to, I'm going to look back on in my, my older years and say that I'm glad I did that. It's not going to be, I, I tweeted another another three times today. It's not going to yeah. be, I, yeah. I, I read another two blogs today. It's going to be something more substantial. And we often kind of get caught up in the junk food of life. We get caught up in this junk mm. food, dopamine cycle. And we're not actually getting real food. We're getting this fake stuff because it's just it's easier. It doesn't take as much willpower or discipline. And yeah, I think it's something we all need to work on.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, just, just talking about that, Barry, when you get to that end of the day and you realize that you haven't pushed uh, as many or as big balls down the road as, as you would have liked, it's frustrating it's a really frustrating feeling to have and uh yeah i mean you, you kind of you kind of wonder what the point of it all was uh getting in, getting to the end of the day and not kind of accomplishing anything that was of substance um I've, I've felt it many many times certainly over the over the last couple of months um where like you say you kind of you you feel like you've been you've been using up your time obviously you've been using up your time you got to the end of the day uh you, you feel like you've you've been doing stuff that's relatively important but ultimately when you look when you look at that to-do list or you look at uh, anything that you want to achieve your, your bigger sort of goals uh, you haven't really moved any of them forward uh, and that's that's a really frustrating feeling um it's it's you know it's it kind of talks me to that margaret Thatcher quote that that i mentioned uh not so long ago about the day where you you've done it all and you didn't think you could have um yeah it's quite frustrating don't you think
1: Yeah, definitely, Chad. It's it's a very common feeling. And I think it's become even more prevalent in today's age because we just don't have the concentration spans that we Mm. used to have because of all these distractions. I mean, our our phones are distraction machines. And so it's Mm. very difficult to kind of get into those deep work states. But it also goes beyond work, Chad. I can see a parallel in in the world of relationships. So, for example, if you compare going to Instagram and liking and commenting on 30 different friends' photos – compared to phoning one friend and having an hour conversation with them and actually finding out how they're doing. It's a huge difference in the quality of your relationships. Even though on Instagram, you feel like you're connecting with people because you're getting the feedback, you're getting the DMs, you're messaging back and forth. You feel like you're connecting with somebody. But it's so different to actually sitting with a friend one-on-one and actually having a a genuine conversation. And so that, that I think is another great analogy here is this idea of When we're online and we think we are are connecting with people because we have all these Facebook friends and we have all these Instagram followers and we are liking and and commenting our hearts out, it doesn't actually mean anything at the end of the day. Um, And what what actually means something is investing in those relationships significantly offline and making plans to see people and trying to phone them or trying to kind of check in with them and get a real sense of what's going on rather than the junk food layer that we all put on our Instagram where we, we look like we're having the best life in the world
0: yeah that junk food layer is so real it's so real and and when you just talk about i guess how how we kind of convince ourselves that spending time on these junk food things are are important uh just just to address your your point before this um you know i i for example this this past couple of weeks i've been editing through photos and i was gonna have this big unveil where i posted everything um and you know posted it all and at the end of the day i was kind of like Okay, um, and then kind of just talking to maybe rather have having spent that time doing something bigger, uh, something a bit more ambitious, something uh, that that would have actually resulted in something a bit more satisfactory. Um, so it's an important point, and I think we I think we all do it. We all kind of try to try to curate all of these things, put so much thought into uh, what it is we're putting out there, and at the end of the day, it is it's all junk. Um, you know, completely agree there.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's 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 something that it's, you're never going to figure it out. It's never going to be an easy thing to do. But it's just a reminder to keep keep looking at your life and keep trying to invest in, in things that are going to last a test of time, right? Mm-hmm. Like a real friendship or a partnership with someone who's going to last a test of time. A a more a bigger ambitious project that actually means something to you, regardless of what it means to anybody else, that that's going to last more in your memories than an Instagram post you made three weeks ago. And so I'm not saying we have to give up all of the junk food. I'm not saying we have to yeah. kind of yeah. write off social media and go live in a cave and be a monk. But what I'm saying is that we have to we have to be honest with ourselves about where our time is being spent. How much of your time is going to building assets, building things that are really important to you and that are investing in skills and in knowledge and in relationships Mm -hmm. that really matters to you? And how much of your time is being spent on the stuff that is actually inconsequential when you look at the bigger scheme of things? And that's what this book is all about, is that this first mountain that we all climb is so unnecessary. And if we could just get to the second mountain as quickly as possible and ignore the first mountain, we'll have a much more fulfilling life. But for some reason, even though we hear these things time and time again, we all feel like we have to climb the mountain first just to make sure that they're not lying, just to make sure. If I buy yeah, that car, I just want to check that I'm not super happy at that point. Because if, if I get if I buy that car and I realize that after two weeks, the novelty wears off, then it's like, okay, cool. Everyone else was right. But why can't we just believe them, Chad? Why can't we just take that wisdom and ignore those things and actually go yeah. for something more meaningful? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it also reminds me of the other analogy of climbing up the ladder, not realizing that it's it's leaning on the wrong house. Uh, that was yep. another one that we've mentioned on the podcast, another gem that stuck with me. Um, it, it's so important. Um, but you're right, we, all, we always we, we, we have to live our own experiences uh, as much as <laughs> kind of learning from others' mistakes. Uh, you know, you, you kind of, it doesn't hit the same spot as learning a lesson through making a mistake. Uh, which is why we we're imperfect beings. I mean imagine in imagine in school instead of teaching you about some form of algebra you'll never use uh, you know for the rest of your life you you basically have to study a long list of lessons that other people important people have learned. Um, I mean, do you think any of those lessons would would stick with you? <laughs> no, we we gonna we gonna verify them for ourselves, of course, um, because <laughs> because we we somehow feel that we are different and our experience is going to be different. Uh, but but as you say, eighty percent of the time we get there and we realize actually there was some wisdom in that uh, in that statement and uh, potentially I should have learned something from that. Um, I also wanted to talk, Barry, about your point of of the quality of relationships, and I feel like. Uh, during the pandemic and kind of working from home and I guess working working with whether it's a flatmate or, or a partner that you, you live with. Um, I guess it's also, I think, deteriorated the, the quality of relationships a little bit as well. Because now we're not just jumping from, from tasks or from scrolling things to fill up our time. Uh, but we're also, when we feel bored distracting our, our partners or our flatmates or whatever by by talking about social plans or by talking about whatever it is we want to talk about. And I guess that always happens in, in an environment. Uh, but but what you, I mean, in the work environment that would happen with your colleagues, what you end up with is, uh, you know, a, a sort of s- situation where you're then at a, a dinner or something and you find yourself not having a whole lot to talk about um, because you've, you've spent each other's days interrupting um and, and it's this frenetic kind of, you know, not being able to concentrate on one thing for a long period of time. I think it's a relevant thing to discuss given our current climate.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a very important point. And it, it kind of comes down to this we sometimes have this romantic idea about our partner that they're going to be everything for us. Like they're going to be everything. They're going to be there for us romantically, in a work setting, as a support structure, as a friend, as a, as a, as a whatever the story is, a thousand different roles. And when you actually put that much pressure on someone, and you, everything becomes a joint thing. It does lose some of its magic it loses some sure. of the sparkle there because there's mad there's real magic in having different people in your life that share different interests at different parts of yourself and you show different parts of yourself to different people depending on where they are in your circle and who they are as people and so as everyone's kind of been pulled into their into their shells and all of a sudden the lines between work and personal life are being blurred the lines between the dinner table and the tv are being blurred mm-hmm. all those things it it doesn't end up in a good place because as humans we're complicated we're complex and it's nice to be able to share different aspects of ourselves with different people and so I think for anyone who's getting into a relationship it's important that you you realize that that person you can't like, you can't be reliant on them for your happiness or your yeah. excitement or any of that stuff that needs to come from you and obviously when you get together you hope that it's that it compounds and you guys have things to share and it it makes life a whole lot better I'm not denying that but you have to be able to kind of find everything that you need from a motivation perspective and internal, all the internal stuff. Yeah. You need to be able to yeah. find that without relying on that person because then you put all that stress on that person. And that, if that person can't make you happy, then then I can't be happy. And that's, and that's a difficult space to be in. And so, yeah, it's again, it's, it's looking inside of yourself and figuring out, okay, cool. I understand the reason that I have certain friends in my life is because I get those outlets. I get those, those release valves. I get that ability to talk about something that I don't talk about with my partner, for example. Um, and, and those that variety and that diversity is actually quite important. And I think we've realized that. Uh, I mean, I, I live by myself during lockdown. But I'm, I'm imagining the couples <laughs> who live together um, realize that during the during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, of course. There's, there's no doubt about it at all. Um, I guess I was more talking about the, the distraction uh, element of our the, the frenetic world we're living in, having an added variable, Barry. Uh, that's kind of more where I was going. But you, you're completely right. Um, you know, we, we, we need that diversity in our life and we need to have our own kind of common values, uh, well, our own uh, personal values and our own uh, compass if you'd like that guides us uh, not be dependent on another person to provide that uh, you almost have to think of it as, as two kind of separate worlds two very separate entities coming together uh, and and when together creating this, this magical uh, combination but as you know as as separate worlds they they need to be able to revolve on their own axis uh, i guess and, and and that's that's the that's why i guess a partnership and um, the joys of relationships is, is is so so great when when done right. Um, anything else to chat about on that one before I move on to to what I came across this week on develop and grow?
1: No, I think that's good. I'm looking forward to reading the rest of the book, and I will report back as awesome. soon as I'm done, Shed. As soon as I'm done.
0: Keen. I'm really glad that uh, that you're back reading because I know you were feeling uh yeah feeling quite frustrated about not having enough time to read being so busy with work so so that's really good uh, barry barry's in his happy place again i can see it uh, i can see a different <laughs> energy uh, come about you always important those little yearnings no matter what they are you've got to give them that that attention um what did i find interesting this week so i listened to a podcast um yeah i do i do listen to podcasts other podcasts too you know, and i love a lot <laughs> of them uh, this one is by a a uk doctor dr chatterjee um, it's called feel better live more I highly recommend um, you know certainly on on kind of this element of it develop and grow a lot a lot about like you say living living better and, and, and feeling uh, feeling more all that kind of stuff so this particular episode uh, was episode 179 about a guy by the name of uh, Mark Brackett uh, who's written a book I'm gonna bring up a picture of it quickly uh, it's called permission to feel uh, and you know, he obviously goes into it's a whole lot in this book. I, I, I really, really want to listen to, read the book or at least listen to an audio book after having listened to the podcast. Um, he's come up with this ruler system, um, which basically talks through sort of identifying uh, identifying emotions, um, you know, being able to kind of respond to them, going through the whole process of it. Um, and I think, you know, emotional intelligence is, is a, a really key topic that, I think a lot of us haven't really spent enough time in. Uh, There's one thing to say you're feeling sad, but it's another one one to go five layers down um, and uh, go into the specifics of it. Um, He's released a chart uh, that that comes with with this book. There's an app for it as well. Um, I I certainly want to cover this all in detail when I've kind of gone through the book. Um, But as he was talking about it and just, I guess, talking about his own experience, emotional experience, uh, he threw out this idea, which I thought was really quite fascinating. Uh, this idea of his hot balloon, hot air balloon—sorry, his hot air balloon—and it's, I think, it's a tool that we should all really use. Um, I know we all do it in some ways, but to think of it as a hot air balloon, uh, for me, just kind of hits another level, really. And that is when, in your life, you are facing a crisis of whatever sort. I know we blow up crises in every facet of our life but when you've hit a a roadblock in whatever it is get into your hot air balloon escalate yourself above the ground where you'll be able to then get a kind of bird's eye view at everything and be able to kind of put into perspective how important this perceived crisis is in the bigger picture be able to kind of take inventory on everything else that is going right in your life um, and, you know, with that gained perspective and now that you're in the hot air balloon, you'll be able to kind of come back down uh, to the ground with, with a better view of how important this is or isn't. Um, and I think just as a, as, a, as a kind of way to think about this barrier, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a very useful tool to get ourselves out of our heads uh, when things just aren't going right. And, you know, we're feeling really frustrated. Nothing's going well. Um, to kind of put it, put it into perspective. Well, yes, I've I've got a stable job. Well, yes, I've got a roof of my head. I've got a loving partner. I've got wonderful friends. Um, you know, I'm I'm settled in a country that isn't currently uh, firing rockets at each other. All you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, th- there's a lot to There's a lot to kind of take perspective on. So I love this idea, the hot air balloon uh, idea by Mark Brackett. What do you think?
1: That's so cool, man. It's, I, I love these sorts of little thought experiments, or little analogies, because they're able to communicate so much more than just the words, right? Mm. And we think, like, as you were describing that, Chad, I was imagining this idea of in that moment where I feel overwhelmed and chaotic and angry or frustrated, that ability to kind of just leave my body for a second and look mm. at the situation, not inside of my own head. Just that mental exercise is very valuable, in like you say, I, Changing my perspective on things and making me realize that what I might be getting angry at or, or concerned about or worried about might actually be much smaller than I realize. But because I'm in my head, it feels like it's the end of the world. Definitely. It feels like everything is falling apart. And the moment you jump into that hot air balloon, you give yourself a little <coughs> bit of space for the situation you're able to make more rational decisions. And it, it might not mean that you feel perfect. It's not like you just forget how you felt, right? It's not like you just fix yeah. the emotion. It's not about that. It's about feeling that emotion and trying to figure out, okay, cool. What does this actually mean in the greatest scheme of things? How am I going to feel about this in three days' time? Like, can I can I delay sending that angry email because I know I'm emotional right now? Can I just l- let the email go, jump into yeah. that hot air balloon, and spend some time in the air and kind of come back <laughs> down to ground when I'm feeling a bit better? Yeah. And so I, I love it, chat. I think it's a great thought exercise, and it's something that I can imagine. I can imagine on your desk if you're having a tough day is getting a picture of a hot air balloon and just putting mm. it on your desk somewhere and just as a little Definitely. reminder, a little memento. That when things are not going where you want them to, like it's not the end of the world. Just jump in the balloon, get some space, get some air, and figure out exactly what the perspective should be, because that's all life is. Life is yeah. just perspective. Now, nothing that happens to you is happening to you because of some personal vendetta. It's just, it's just that's how life works, and you can choose to see it in a myriad of different ways. You can choose which sorts of which sorts of glasses you're going to put on to view that experience, and mm. and the meaning that you imbue on it. Is going to determine how you live your life, and so that choice is something we often don't think we have. We think that we are have. To, it happens to us, and the way we react is the way we react, and that's just how it is. Um, but if you get in the hot air balloon, you realize, oh wait a minute, there actually are a couple other choices here. I don't yeah. have to respond in that way if I don't want to. Um, I think it's beautiful, Jet.
0: Awesome. I'm glad you loved it as much as I did. Uh, it struck me straight away and it's, it's definitely going to be something that I'm going to be using uh, in the future. And I think we also have to mention here, Barry, that this week is Mental Health Awareness Week as well. Um, so, you know, wherever you're at, if you've, if you've seen webcasts about mental health and uh, I guess just taking, uh, you know, care of your mental health, I think the theme this year is is nature. So, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of benefits from nature to be taken uh in in this realm so yeah national you know it's it's a mental health awareness week very important that we all kind of focus on uh, on this topic and what a great tool to to give some perspective to our troubles uh whatever they may be i mean have you have you seen anything interesting happening in the the mental health space this week barry uh is it only really on my side of the pond I, i i never really know
1: yeah, I haven't seen much chat. I've seen a couple of Instagram posts and whatnot, but but nothing from a pure South African mm. perspective. I think it definitely is a bit bigger, that side. And of course the the royal influence and the, kind of all the input they've been putting into that side is obviously makes a difference. Um, but I, I think it still is crucially, crucially important. It's something that yeah. I've I've started to realize over the last couple of years that it's it's the most important thing to worry about, to be honest, is is, is your mental health. And uh, I think in today's world where we are disconnected from each other, we are kind of living in isolated silos. We do live this online life. It's, it's more and more prevalent. And so I yep. think for anyone, it's a, it's a great reminder to keep a check on that. Um, check in with your friends. If you have strong friends who you think are strong, but you don't know what's going behind the scenes, check, on, check in on them and make sure mm. they're doing okay. Make sure your family members are doing okay. And just kind of try and be there for each other. Um, mental health needs to lose its stigma. And I think we're getting there but we're yep. still not there yet. Um, it needs to be it needs to be an accepted practice where I can I can phone a friend and say, listen, I'm really feeling down today. I'm really feeling shitty today about myself. And it's it it's not like kind of a sign of weakness, it's almost a sign of strength that I'm able to admit that and acknowledge it because then I can try and try and figure stuff out. And so yeah, yeah. We, we we chat about a lot on we chat about it a lot on across the pond. And in fairness, Chad, every week should be mental health awareness week, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Completely agree, uh, and I guess that's how we treat it. Um, but you know, for for the rest of the world, this week is mental health awareness week. So if if <laughs> never, well, this is your time to kind of look into um, that that part of yourself. And uh, yeah, you're right, Barry. I think we are definitely getting closer, but 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 certainly not there yet. Um, I'm quite keen to to read that book I just mentioned uh, and turn that I'm feeling shitty or I'm feeling down into something a whole lot more specific. <laughs> um, which I think is important. and I think us being able to, to talk to each other on that level where we understand each emotion uh, down to its most granular level and we're able to identify with that, um, understand why certain people are feeling that way in a particular moment in time. I think, you know, just all of us having that bigger vocabulary in a topic that is this important, I think is going to make the, the whole world of difference Um and uh, i'm quite i'm quite keen for that so one of these days i'll be digging into that book and we can chat all about it barry you asked me to keep today to one hour um after taking the countdown away we're pretty much at an hour and a minute somewhere around there uh Amazing. so Amazing. right on time a good place to end our episode
1: <laughs> yeah really good show we, we've had a couple long ones in the last couple of weeks there's nothing wrong with that because there's lots yeah. of stuff to get into but sometimes we need to keep them a bit tighter. And so I'm glad yeah. we did this one. And I'm glad we got the balance. I thought felt, felt the balance was better in this one, mm. Chad. Not, not so much current affairs and more on the, the deeper stuff, like you say. Not the first yeah. mountain, but the second <laughs> mountain stuff. So if you've made it this far, whether you're listening or watching, we really appreciate you. We hope you got something from this
0: absolutely and as always please if you enjoyed it let one of your friends know about us um, we, we certainly want to grow our tribe um, so definitely do send us their way we'd, we'd be very very appreciative uh, if you haven't checked out any of our social media platforms as of yet check us out we're on facebook at across the pond podcast instagram at across the pond cast and uh, we're on twitter too across underscore podcast And uh, last but not least, YouTube Across the Pond podcast. That's all for today. We'll see you again next week.